Acts chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 28. And uh, as you're ready, I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, uh, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. On the 15th of September, 1940, that's right at the, the height of, of the Battle of Britain, 
and Britain's involvement in World War II, Flight Sergeant John Hanna was the wireless operator in a British bomber that was carrying out a raid on German invasion forces in Belgium. And while his, uh, while his bomber was flying over Belgium, they came under attack from an anti-aircraft um, uh, bombs. And, and their, the, the bomber was, was struck. The fuselage started to um, engulf into flames. And so you had this aircraft, this bomber flying over Belgium with flames licking out of it. And right away, uh, the gunner of that bomber bailed because the floor underneath him started to melt from the flames. And uh, others in the flight start bailing and bailing and bailing uh, until there's just two. There's just the pilot and Sergeant John Hanna. And Hanna for a moment thinks, well, I could bail. I could bail right now and, uh, and, and hope that my life's preserved. But instead, uh, he starts to, to seek to put out the flames. He grabs a fire extinguisher and starts to go after the flames with that. And then that fire extinguisher goes out and he, he grabs another. Um, and then uh, he's out of fire extinguishers, so he starts using the log book. The log book burns out, and so he starts using his bare hands and his body to put out the flames. By the time the pilot had barely flown that bomber after dropping its loading, he brought it back to the base, back to home base, Everyone was amazed that John Hanna was still alive. He'd survived. It was just him and the pilot on that, on that flight. And he, he put out the fire. There are stories like this, stories of incredible courage. I could rattle them off all day long. And we should applaud that courage. But there is courage that exceeds even this. It's the courage we see in our passage this morning, the courage of the apostles, the resilience of the apostles, the boldness of the apostles, even as they were under attack by many forces from many directions, even as uh, the flames, as it were, were looking at their feet, they stood strong and resilient until the task was done, until they were back to home base, until they made it back to Antioch. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Uh, last week, we looked at a very specific phrase Right? We looked in, in, in chapter 13 at that phrase that those who were appointed to eternal life believed. And, and we, we leaned into it and we looked at a difficult passage. But this week, I want us to, to look at a broader passage, a whole chapter, as it were, and see what's the thread that connects it. As I'm reading my Bible, as you're reading your Bible each week, um, what should you be looking for? Well, you should be looking for uh, the, the threads that weave through passages. You should be looking for the little passages that stand out and catch your attention and make you say, what's the Lord saying here? But you should also be looking at the broad themes that connect entire chapters and books. And that's what we see here. There is a theme that you just can't miss, and it is the theme of gospel resilience. Gospel resilience, courage, boldness, and persistence, even when opposition feels incredibly intense. And God is not just showing us this to say, wow, that was really tough stuff. But as we see Paul, and you've got your, your map um, in your bulletin, right? As you see Paul's missionary journey weave its way uh, from Antioch uh, to Iconium, to Lystra, to Derbe, and then all the way back through, uh, to Antioch in the east, we're not just supposed to say, wow, that was a really cool trip. Wow, brave folks. That's a story for the history books. No, we're supposed to say, this is for us. And God is calling us 
to the same bravery and persistence and resilience, even when opposition is very, very intense. We need to hear that. The Lord has put that before us for a reason. So let's dive in. What I want us to see is first, I want us to see resistance to the gospel as it takes shape. The flames licking, the fuselage exploding in this passage. And then I want us to also consider the resilience that we see here. Those who are tasked with preaching the gospel and taking it to the corners of the earth stand firm until they're back to home base. And so should we. We'll look at the resistance uh, to the gospel as it weaves its way through these cities. And you see it in Lystra, you see it in, in Iconium, and, um, and uh, so we're going to look at that. First of all, in, in, Lyst- in, sorry, in Iconium, what do we see? Now, Iconium, you'll see there, is right um, on the corner of entering into Galatia. And in Iconium, we see proclamation and poisoning. Proclamation of the gospel. That's a good thing, right? What's the proclamation of the gospel? Well, if you go back and look at Paul's sermon, which I'd encourage you to do later, uh, because it really is showing why are they going through all this trouble? Well, it's because of what Paul is preaching. And in short, it's this. In a nutshell, it's this. That we are worse than we imagined, but God's grace is better than we deserve. We are worse than we imagined. We are sinners. We have fallen short of God's glory. Uh, we are separated from him. And there is a selfishness in, it, in our hearts that destroys our relationships with others and, and especially destroys our relationship with God. And that there is a guilt that hangs over us. But God's grace is better than we deserve. In Jesus Christ, he came to save us from our sins, to bridge that gulf that was between us and him. And he did this by sending his son to die the death we, death we deserve to die. And rising again in newness of life, we are justified. We are made right. We have the record of the sinless Son of God to be ours. Through faith in his name, everyone who believes, that's a message worth preaching. And yet, a strange thing happens, right, in Iconium. A strange alliance of Gentiles and Jews. Now think about this. As you're hearing that these two kind of paired up and became a team Um, you need to realize that they hardly ever did this. When, what other time would Jews and Gentiles get together and do something uh, in common? Because Jews and Gentiles couldn't even eat at the same table. Uh, Jews considered Gentiles like dogs. Uh, And so the fact that they're getting together is is a strange alliance indeed. They they couldn't even sit, sit down for coffee. And yet they come together against the gospel. And it says that the Jews poisoned minds against the gospel. That's a strong phrase, isn't it? Poisoned minds. Don't believe that stuff. Don't believe um, what Paul is saying about the Messiah. It's not true. Well, friends, this isn't anything new. In fact, it's, it's true in our own age, in our own day and age. Don't be surprised by strange alliances against the gospel. Don't be surprised when... The jocks and the nerds uh, team up at school uh, to, uh, to challenge your faith in Christ. Don't be surprised when Democrats and, and, and Republicans come together to, to block um, some opening of the gospel to the nations. Don't be surprised when capitalists and communists put down their um, swords and come together and, and find uh, some sort of common alliance against the gospel. It happens. Don't be surprised. That's the first thing you need to see is that there is resistance to the gospel. It comes in the strangest of forms. 
even those who at times you, we, we overlap with, right? Even times when we overlap with, with certain people, it, it's only a moment before they, they pivot. And if, if their confidence is not in Christ, we're caught in the crosshairs because he's our Lord and Savior. So that's what happens in Iconium. Paul finds this strange alliance turned against him, and he has to flee uh, so that he's not stoned. You know, Paul is willing to endure suffering, but he's not stupid. He knows he has a task to complete, and when the door shuts in his face, he needs to get out of there, and he needs to go where a door to the the gospel is open. And so that's where he goes. He goes to a town, a village called Lystra. Now, I know he's headed east, right? On your map, you see he's moving, um, uh, well, southeast. But really, you need to consider Lystra in your mind, kind of like the Wild West. It's backcountry. This is a place where there is no Jewish synagogue because it's not very metropolitan. And in fact, what you have is just a bunch of uh, Gentile pagans who have lived with their Greek religion for years and years and years and years without anyone pushing in and telling them anything different. But Paul's following the Holy Spirit, and so that's where he goes. Goes to Lystra. And it's at Lystra where this Wild West flavor, uh, where Paul does something amazing. He heals a crippled man. He touches this man, causes him, him to stand, and for the first time, he feels his legs stretch, and he's leaping with, with joy for the Lord. Now, does that sound familiar at all? It should, because we heard. Those of you who were, uh, were with us when we preached in Acts chapter 3 saw that there was almost this exact same thing. A crippled man uh, being uh, brought to his feet, rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, that's exactly what we saw in Acts chapter 3. And I don't think this is a, is a mistake, friends. It's not a mistake, because what Luke is showing you is he's singling out one of Paul's miracles that is common both in Lystra and in Jerusalem. So in Acts 3, this miracle is done in Jerusalem. In, in Acts 13, 14, in Acts 14, it's done in Gentile backcountry. And what Luke is saying to you, what he's showing you, is that there are the same problems that persist in Lystra and Jerusalem. The same universal human problems persist with Gentiles and Jews. And so they're going to need the same gospel. They're going to need the same healing hand of the Lord. There's not one answer for the Jews and another for the Gentiles. They all need, we all need what? What was epitomized in that miracle? The healing power of Jesus, newness of life in Christ from his representatives, from the apostles. Gives you confidence when you share the gospel with different kinds of people, doesn't it? To know that, you're not coming to people who, you know, sometimes it can be intimidating when you go to different sets of people and they've got different beliefs and they've got different customs and they look different and you think, well, um, you know, I, I've got to really familiarize myself with their, with their problems before I speak to them. No, every human being has the same problem and that is sin. That's sin. And it's brokenness uh, uh, and, and, and a need to be, have newness of life from the Lord. And so Paul starts preaching. You know, he, he's healed this man and he, he's preaching. And this is where start, things start to get very strange, right? What starts to happen? 
Well, the whole town saw it, and the, the news starts to spread, and everyone's running, everyone's excited, and Paul and Barnabas are probably thinking, okay, good, gospel preaching opportunity, it's happening, they're all coming together. And then they see something very strange. You know, the people are, are speaking in their own language, which Paul and Barnabas don't know, uh, like Haonian, and they don't understand what they're saying, they're chanting something, and then here comes the priest uh, from the village, the priest of Zeus, and he's got an oxen, and he's, you know, leading a procession, and it becomes very apparent that they're about to sacrifice this oxen. And Paul and Barnabas start to understand, wait, they don't understand at all what, I'm, what, what just happened. They don't understand that this was an act of the one true God of Israel that's coming and reaching to the Gentiles and providing a solution to their sin problem. No, they're saying Zeus and Hermes have just showed up, and uh, we better sacrifice to them so they're not angry at us. You see, these people had an ancient story that went back, you know, probably to their great, 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 great grandkids. Um, and it went like this, that one day, one ancient day, well, long before them, Zeus and Hermes, Greek gods, had shown up in their valley in the form of mortal men. And they were saying who would show hospitality to them. And they went house to house and um, a thousand houses shut the door to them. But then Zeus and Hermes found this one house um, by, owned by an elderly couple that welcomed them in. And so Zeus and Hermes were so impressed with this hospitality that uh, they rewarded that couple. They made them priest and priestess of the, of the village. And uh, they turned their house into a temple to, to worship them. And then they flooded everyone, all the other houses, and killed them all. And so when the people are, are, are saying, well, here's, here's this amazing thing that just happened. A crippled man's healed. And here's a guy um, who looks very regal and another guy who's speaking. It must be Zeus and Hermes. It's happening again. They're testing us again. And we, we need not fail again or else they might rain down fire upon us or something. And uh, what's happening? Well, let me get right to the point. Satan is having a heyday, isn't he? He's manipulating the scene. So in Iconium, you had proclamation and poisoning. In Lystra, you have miracles and manipulation. And so Satan is manipulating the scene so that this, uh, this scene that's ripe for gospel proclamation actually is doing what? He's using it to bolster their pagan presuppositions, their, their pagan mindset. He's twisting this gospel proclamation to fan the flames of their idolatry. Couldn't get more twisted than that. But it happens today. It happens today. Satan still does this today. He still resists the gospel in this way. People will hear the gospel, and instead of embracing it, all of it for what it is, they'll find a way to fit it, or attempt to fit it, into their idolatrous outlook, into their presuppositions. And so Jesus becomes to them just another social justice warrior. Or Jesus becomes to them just some enlightened teacher who helps us live a better life. Makes us a, takes us from good people to great people. Jesus is some sort of demigod. Or, or Jesus is, um, I don't know. Not the Jesus of the gospel, though, right? We're tempted ourselves to do something like this. 
where we listen to what we want to hear from the message, but we discard the rest, right? Say, oh yeah, that's a point that my, uh, my wife really needs to hear. I hope she's listening. Oh, that's a point uh, that my husband really needs to hear. I hope he's paying attention. My kids need to hear this later. And yet the main point that God is trying to hit you with is, listen up, this is for you. Another way we fall into this error you know, is, is we prop up the messenger, but we miss the message. We can become so enamored with how a preacher is speaking or you know, his rhetoric, his skill, and yet it's the message that matters. We can miss that. So this is yet another way that Satan is launching bombs at, his, at, at, at God's people, at God's messengers. And it's like at this point, um, you know, a bomb's... An anti-aircraft bomb has hit uh, Britain's bomber and, and, and you have the flames start licking, right? And this isn't where it stops, you know. Paul and Barnabas barely, they, they, they tear their shirts and they're saying, stop this, stop this right now. They barely get the people to stop. And then these same people who one minute were worshiping them, the next are convinced by people who come into the city to stone them. Fickle people. Could you imagine? I mean, Paul and Barnabas, it's just hit after hit after hit, flame after flame after flame. Just like, can this get any worse? They think Paul's dead. They drop, they, they pull him out of the city. And I kind of love this, you know, right? The, the, the text says he's kind of props up. I'm, I'm alive. And then what, what does he do next? He goes back into that city. Can you believe that? And here's where we see, we move from resistance to the gospel to resilience in the gospel. Here's where we see that every bomb, every attack that Satan sends can knock us down, but it will never keep us from standing back up. The resilience of the gospel, the perseverance of God's people is seen here loud and clear in the apostle Paul and Barnabas. You know, I want that image to be in your mind. The gospel is under attack. Paul has been stoned. He probably has wounds on his body from this. And he stands up. He says, we're going back in. We're going back into the city. Courage, commitment, and perseverance in spite of countless setbacks. And then what does he do? He goes not just back into, into that city, but he goes to Derby, and then he starts making his way back through each of these cities. Yes, you heard me right. Back through each of these cities that, have, that are full of people that hate his guts. And he goes back into each one of them. And when he goes back in, this time it's not to necessarily preach the gospel to a large audience, but to say, all right, so when I was here the first time, who believed? I want to talk to those guys. I want to fan their flame. And I want to tell them what? What does he say to them? Through many tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of God. So he's saying, you see what happened to me? You see these, see these scars on me? Yeah, I got that in Iconium. Friends, you're going to have those scars too. But you must continue in the grace of God. Because there's, there's home base and you're going to make it there you're going to make it to home base. If you continue in the grace of God, even in the face of great 
suffering and, and, and depression. Why do we need to hear this? Why do we need to hear that Paul and Barnabas, in the face of great resistance, marched their way through Iconium to Derby, back to Iconium, uh, and, and, and through Lystra and Antioch, uh, Pamphylia, Italia, and then all the way back to Antioch. Why do we need to hear this? It's not just some message for the history books. It's an encouragement to us today. It's an encouragement because I'm, I'm very grateful that we live in a world, in a country that will not stone us at this point for our belief in the gospel. But there is oppression. There is resistance. And if you don't know that, then, then you need to spend more time with people that aren't Christian. Because I remember one of the, the first times that I went to band camp uh, one, one summer and I was the only Christian there. And it was like bombs were hitting me left and right. I was like, what, what is this? This is strange. And friends who, uh, in our cabin who really didn't like one another, they would gang up on me when, when I was talking about the gospel. So I'd see strange alliances. And, and then I would, uh, I, I, would, I would feel their oppression. And, and, and friends, you will see that too. You will see people who will slam the door in your face. You will see people uh, who, will, who will seek to, uh, to take you out of the picture for jobs because, you, because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You will see people who just start to, to kind of hate you for, it feels like it's for no reason, but it, but it becomes clear it's because of what you believe. It's because you're committed to Christ and walking after him. Now, Jesus promises us that we will have oppression if we're following him, but he also promises us that it's not because of us, it's because of him. It's because the world hates him. And he further promises us that he is with us to the end, that he'll bring us home. And that's what, that's what he does to Paul. He brings him back to home base, and it's from home base that Paul says, hey, look, we could focus on all the crazy things that happened. We could focus on, on how the fuselage brought up, but we want to focus on this, that we completed the task at hand. Guess what? God opened a door to faith. And as we went back through each of those cities, yeah, there were people that hated us, but there were people that believed. Isn't that our encouragement today? Isn't that... Uh, what fans the flames of our gospel resilience? That though there be millions against us, there are people who are believing in the gospel. There are churches being planted. There are citadels of Christ being established. And Christ is going to do something with that. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 4, 9 again. Where Paul, it must be as he looks back. You know, Paul, here's Paul looking back on his many journeys. Maybe he thought about his time in Lystra when he was stoned. And he says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that when Satan does his worst, God's people persevere. God's people stand back up. God's people complete the mission. It's my encouragement to you. 
Complete the mission. Finish the task. Stay faithful to the Lord. Tell other people about Jesus. And do so knowing he is so faithful. He suffered before you and he made it to glory before you. And so he'll take you to home base. Let's pray. Dear Savior, the resistance is strong to your word. It's so clear when we see headlines in other countries, especially countries like like India today, Lord, where there are large pockets of India that would that would stone the gospel messengers, that would would kill them if they were heard in the streets. And Lord, even in our own land, we see strange alliances against the gospel that just don't make sense. And yet, Lord, when we feel tempted to tap out or give up or feel like it's over, give us strength to stand back up. Give us strength to persevere. And Lord, give us these glimpses of gospel belief so that when we do make it to home base, look back and say, look what you've done, Lord. Look what you've done. Pray this all in Christ's name.